We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 12 through 14. Let's pray. Lord, now as we open your word, we ask that you would open our eyes and hearts. Help us to hear, to see, help us to understand. Uh, Lord, as we look into these verses and we see the things that are here for us, we ask that you would help us to be able to put those things into practice. Help us to see them, Lord, whether it's for the first time or just another time, that we would understand what it is that you want from us and that our desire would be, as we leave this place, to put them into practice. Thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. From time to time, we've been putting some of these cards in your uh, bulletin, and uh, they're just their recommendation to, if you would like to memorize them or put them up somewhere in your house to read them. I, I, many times I find the verses that, that I pick are verses that I'm working on anyway, and so I thought, well, I'll just sh- share those with you as well. <clears throat> I remember many years ago, uh, I was asked by a fellow missionary if I would take his class at seminary while he was out of town, and I said, sure, I'll take it, and then I found out that the week that I was going to teach was going to be a week on predestination, election, and free will. <clears throat> and uh, I figured he made that trip on purpose right then. Anyway, I looked at all of the information, and I said, okay, Lord, let's, uh, I'm going to need some help on this one, and talked about it and prayed about it, and got into the classroom itself, and I talked to the students, and I said, okay, so what do you think? And I had a, one whole group of students that basically said, yeah, God is sovereign, 100% totally. He chooses, and we have absolutely no ability to thwart or turn against his choosing. And that was their, their sense of it. The other group said, well, now, wait a minute. You know, we have free will, and, and we have to say yes, or we have to pursue the Lord. And, and, and so there was these two sides, I mean, polar, polar opposites in what they thought. And, and, and if you think about those two things, um, if it's really true that God chooses men and women and they have no ability to respond, no ability to choose, and he only chooses some, that seems blatantly unfair to us. We say, what in the world's going on? God, why would you do that? And then if it's entirely up to man, and God has no input whatsoever, and it's basically, if a man wants to respond, great, he does, and if he gets other people to respond with him, that's great, but God's just kind of standing in the background watching. Again, there's something really wrong with that picture. Now, I want to let you know, I'm not resolving this for you today, okay? (laughs) I'm just laying it out there as a problem. No, I want to just share a couple thoughts, because as we get into verse 12, we talk about being God's chosen people. And so I want to just deal with that whole issue a little bit. Let me just say, first of all, there's no simple, easy way of resolving something this complicated and difficult. Um, I found from time to time, the people who've told me, well, this is easy, are the ones that I don't think understand it all that well. And so it's pretty easy for them. Um, Part of the answers are here for us. That's one thing we need to understand. Some of the answers for what we'd like to know are not given to us. Um, I came across this quote as I was studying this week. I thought that was kind of interesting because this is where some people would have have to be thinking through. The idea of a person wanting to be saved but being unable to do so because they are not one of the elect is absolutely foreign to the Bible. Okay, so it, there are people who think this, actually, 
And the reality is that's not what the Word of God is teaching us. So I'm going to give you two truths that I think are really clear that we see in Scripture related to all of this. Uh, Everyone who calls on or believes in Jesus will be saved will have eternal life. That's, that's the first statement that we've got. In John 3.15, Jesus says, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Okay, so it's a matter of, are you going to believe? And if so, if you put your trust and faith in Christ, then this is what you will have. Joel 2.32 says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you've got one truth out there saying that if you call on the name of the Lord, if you call on him for salvation, you will be saved. That's one statement, one truth that we can hang on to. Now, you go to another truth that's very clear, and that's he chose us in Christ before creation, before the worlds were made. He had already made his choice. Look at what it says in Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Okay? So we've got two things that are very, very clear in the Scripture here. On the one hand, it says that if we call on the Lord, we're saved. On the other hand, it says God has chosen us. And, and by the way, chosen us before anything that we see or know or understand existed. Okay? That's how long ago he chose us. And so we, we, we sit there and we think that all through. Um, I love the fact that it's very clear if we call on the name of Jesus and we put our trust in him, we're saved. I also love the fact that God chose me long, long time ago. Now, these two truths seem contradictory. How can they both be true? I'm going to go ahead and put this next slide up there. For all you math whizzes, what is the answer to this? Seriously, come on now. Somebody's out there bright enough to put it all together, right? The problem with this equation is the problem that we have when it comes to God choosing and us responding, all that kind of stuff, is that we don't have all the information. All of the parts of this equation are not there. There's absolutely no way you can solve it because key sections are totally missing. And and that's the way I have had to really come back to very often in my own life is that there is the statement that God chose us before before the foundation of the world and the statement that says, if you will believe you will be saved. How do you put those two together? They seem contradictory. They're not because God has put them together. The thing he hasn't given us is all of the formula to see how it all works. And so for me, I've had to come down to that point in my own walk with the Lord where I say, Lord, I know this is what you say and I know this is what you say. I'm going to believe them both because they're both true. It's not an either or. It's both and. Both are there. And they are both true. Um, you know, it's, it's, on one level, it's one of the mysteries that we have that God has given us part of the information, but not all of it. But just because it's a mystery does not mean that it is not true. Okay? We may not understand how God can choose before the foundation of the world and give the opportunity to choose to anyone who will listen and respond. We don't know how he puts all that together. We know that he does do both of those things. And so at this point, that's where I come down to, okay, God hasn't given me enough information. I can wrestle with it. I can, you know, ask all kinds of questions. I can do all kinds of things. But the reality is I only have a certain amount of information, and that's the only information I have. And so at that point, I have to say, I trust God 
He's the one that said, this is how it is. I'm going to believe that he knows what he's doing. And so that's it's kind of giving you that insight, because every time you see Paul say uh, to the chosen people, that's all of us, okay? Um, and that's all of us who were in the church, all of us who were Gentiles, all of us who are, who are Jewish, all, all people. And, and he said that last week in verse 11. Um, so let's jump into verse 12 here. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Therefore, and I think what Paul's saying here, since you have put off the old man and you're putting on the new man, because of that, therefore, as God's chosen people, those who have been picked by God, who have been responded to God's call, who God has chosen for an eternal purpose, and God chose people not just the Jewish nation. Verse 11 said there's no Greek, no Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Why? Because Christ is in all and is all. And so that's the reality. Paul believes God's chosen people are all of those who have accepted and believed in Jesus Christ. That's where Paul's coming from. So therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, holy, that's the whole idea of being set apart for God. Um, and, and, and when we're made holy, God's the one that does that work. He's the one that forgives our sins completely and totally when we turn to Him for salvation. And so He takes care of that. And, and as He sets us aside, makes us holy, it's, He's impacting our whole person, all of our being, all of our pursuits and conversations fall into that category that we are holy. And then as well as beyond that, dearly loved or deeply loved. And so, based on the fact that you are chosen by God, set apart for God, and loved by God, Paul says, clothe yourself with these things, okay? You get that? So, based on the fact, first of all, you are chosen, and you are set apart, and not only that, you are deeply loved by God. And because of all of that, Paul says, clothe yourself with with, and then he gives us a number of things. And that whole idea of clothing yourself is an idea of putting something on. And, and the tense here is to keep on putting that on. Just keep on putting that on. It's a conscious choice. In a sense, it, it, there's, there's an urgency to it. It's almost as if Paul's saying, you must put this on. You must put this on, and you must keep on putting this on. And what is it that we need to put on? Compassion, the heart for mercy. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Boy, we've been trying to figure out what's wrong with my throat. This is a parenthesis here. We haven't figured it out yet, so, <laughs> so bear with me. So clothe yourself with compassion. That's the heart of, mess, of mercy or a tender-heartedness, if you will. Um, it's, a, it's a person who's sensitive to the suffering or the need of other people. That's, that's the whole idea of compassion. Now, clothe yourselves with kindness. This is goodness towards others. And, and on one level, it's thoughtfulness. It's thinking of the needs of others and how we can impact them in some way to help them. It's that whole idea of just being kind. Humility. Uh, humility is a realistic and an honest view of ourselves. Well, we're not putting ourselves way up here or putting ourselves way down here. We understand we are forgiven by God's grace and that He's called us to, to serve and honor Him. And one of those ways is, is to be humble, not even care about who gets the credit, just 
Keep on doing things and keep on serving. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. And, and this is that word that means that it's, there's not a harsh or an arrogance to this. It's a thought of treating others with consideration. Uh, it's a willingness to suffer harm or insult rather than to cause harm or insult to someone else. You catch that? It's, it, we're willing to say, okay, I'll, I'll suffer that, but I will not impose that on anybody. I will not cause anyone else to go through that. And then the last one, <clears throat> this one, by the way, I've got nailed. No issues here whatsoever. <clears throat> Patience. <laughs> oh, mercy. Self-restraint, calm response, and in the face of provocation especially. Um, the opposite of being quick to anger and resentment or revenge is patience. And um, maybe you are one of those people that's patient all the time. I'm not. I'm thankful for God working in me and teaching me more and more of the kinds of things that I need to know. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Uh, I used to take teams of students down to Mexico, and I made many, many, many trips. And, and on the teams, one of the things that I required was that they would memorize these three verses. And one of them was because of verse 13. Bear with one another. You're going to be together for 14 days, uh, riding in vans and going back up in the mountains. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. And then just in case that's hard for you, remember the Lord forgave you. Remember that. So bear with each other the willingness to hang in there and not give up on someone who bugs us. It's a lot easier to walk away, isn't it, than it is to try to love them in the way that God wants us to. So bear with each other. That's the whole idea of being long-suffering and looking for the best in that obnoxious friend or coworker or family member you're looking for the best, even though that's how you see them and understand them to be. Your job is to try to bear with them and encourage them. Forgive whatever grievances involves not just not holding a grudge. It's the whole idea of anything at all that, that you've got against a person. And, and sometimes people put all those things away and keep storing them away, and eventually they can't take it anymore, and they blow up all over the place. And I think Paul's saying, forgive whatever grievances you've got. Do away with that. And then just in case they didn't understand the depth of what he's asking them, he says, let me give you the standard of forgiveness that I want you to aim for. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. What did the Lord require of me when I came to him to be forgiven? Simple looking to him and trusting in him to do what he said he would. He didn't say, Mark, you have to do this and this and this and this and this, and then I'll consider forgiving you. It was, if you will believe that I have done this and put your trust in me, you will be forgiven. And so we are supposed to forgive as the Lord himself forgives. <clears throat> I came across this uh, poem, to live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. I heard an amen. <laughs> and over all these virtues, Paul says, 
over all these virtues, all the godly characteristics, all the godly characteristics he's put here, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, the Beatitudes, those are the kinds of things he's talking about. All, over all of those virtues, put on love. Put on love. On one level, what he's saying here is that love is larger and bigger than all of the rest. He's saying that love is maybe the best part of all of the rest. But it's an interesting way that he puts it. Over all these virtues, put on love. Why? Because love binds all of them together. Brings them all together in some special way. It's almost as if what he's saying is love makes everything else work better. All of the things that you've been putting on, all of those things, uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, love on top of all that multiplies what those things are. Um, in perfect unity, ties them and unifies them. So the whole idea of putting on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, forgiveness, all of those kinds of things, those are the things that, are, that, if you will, you want to picture it this way, those are the flowing garment that someone would put on in that time frame. So they have this flowing garment, but it was not very comfortable or very practical until you actually put the belt around it. And the belt is love. That's the way Paul is des- describing this. All of the other things are like the garment that we put on, but the one thing that makes all of it useful, practical, and able to be used in some special way is the fact that love is like that big old belt that you put around, and love holds all of them together. That's the imagery that Paul is using. So Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Again, that's that whole idea that love is really critical. Um, and so as we, we look at this, and as we see these things today, remember these things are important and they're critical, and, and we want God to be working in us and making those things more and more visible. But we also have to remember that the thing that energizes and keeps them going is the love that we express for God and for each other. Now, there's some implications here. If we know and love Jesus, one of the things that he longs for in me and in you, is that we grow. That is one of the things he wants to see going on in us. There's never anywhere in the Scripture that you'll find someone saying, okay, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, then park it and you'll be fine. you got your ticket to heaven, that's all there is. It's just not there. When we get saved, it's to enter into a relationship that will continue to grow, and that takes all kinds of shapes and forms because everybody is totally different. And so the way that God works in Carol's life and helps her to grow and and be strengthened is totally different than the way he works in my life. But he's working in both. And and that's one of the things we need to be thinking through is how is it that God's working? Uh, You know, we want to mature in the areas of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, forgiveness. And, and, And we want to be able to be growing in all those areas and we want to see love that sustains all of those things. So as we're going through those things, we need to be thinking through, okay, Lord, I want to see these. I know you do too. Help me, show me, encourage me in some way. How can I pursue these things in my own life? And so it sounds like a lot of, a lot like several other passages, fruit of the Spirit, the Beatitudes. And and I just want want to say one thing here. We cannot make this stuff happen. We can work really hard at it, 
and we can do our best, but if, if it's us and our energy and our strength and our power and our determinedness and all of those things, if that's how this is happening, we've missed it. Because it isn't about us pulling this off. It is about the Holy Spirit of God working and us being surrendered, and through us, then the Holy Spirit works these things into the reality that He wants to see. Verse 12. Um, go ahead and put that up there, Keaton. Thanks. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So we are, we're chosen by God. We are set apart by Him. We are dearly loved by Him. And He says, I want you to clothe yourself because of that, because I've chosen you, because you are holy in my sight, because I love you. I want you to work on these things. I want these things to be coming through. I want the Spirit of God to be able to work in you to make these things happen. And I, and I thought about where would I look to see how I can be in cooperating with God in all of this. And I think Paul gave us the part of the picture, at least in Colossians 3 that we saw a few weeks ago, the first couple of verses. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So he says, listen, you need to be always setting your heart on the things above. If your heart is focused on everything around you and everything's going on here and now, the whole idea is, okay, I need to be thinking about those things above, the things that, that the Lord wants to bring into my heart and into my life. And then he also goes on to say, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Why? Well, we've died to the things of this earth. If we believe in Christ, that's what he wants us to do, to be dead to the things of this world. Can we do that in our own strength? No, that's a hard thing. And yet he's willing to say and willing to work with us in saying, I want you to die to the things of the world, but be alive to me in all of these areas. I want you to, to seek me with all of your heart. I want you to, to seek me with your mind. And, and, and putting on these things God wants to see in my life, it isn't all about trying harder and being more disciplined. It's by seeking Him first and focusing my heart on Him and focusing my mind on Him. And so at work, we come across that person who's that chronic complainer. Everybody, everybody hates the person, and you, know, you don't hate them quite yet, but you're close. And, and they complain, and they whine, and, and um, you know, we can all, and, and I've been in situations where I've been the employee wanting to hide from someone. We can allow our thoughts to think how much worse we have it as they're whining. Or we can focus on ourselves and how annoyed we are with them that they actually caught us and that they just don't want to stop talking. But where's my heart when I'm thinking like that? What is it that I'm really doing when I'm thinking in those ways? And that's the hard part because it's so easy when you face something like that or something similar to either try to escape it or get away from it or to just get it over with. And one of the things maybe that the Lord wants us to do is to see how we can help this person. And, and, and down deep inside, we may be saying, eh, it's a hopeless cause, they don't want any help. And, and that may actually be the case, but the reality needs to be for us, okay, if this is a situation, how can I seek 
to do what Christ wants me to do here. So I must focus my heart and my thoughts upward and ask for God's help and compassion towards this person. And remember, I'm chosen by God. I'm holy and loved. And He wants me in that situation to be His hands and His feet and His words. That's one implication. I think there's another implication in verse 13. Verse 13, he says, Bear with each other. What, uh, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, I want to just say here that there are all kinds of levels of forgiveness, uh, depending on what has happened. If, for instance, I'm in a situation and um, someone says something really harsh to me, uh, maybe they swear at me, whatever it is. You know, that's not a hard thing for me to forgive. That's a pretty easy thing. I pray for them, I forgive them, and that's the end of it for me. It's a simple, simple one. But there are things that are way harder than that. There are situations that are way more difficult. Um, <clears throat> that's why I think Paul says on, in, on some of those levels, we need to be thinking through, okay, so Paul says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have. Now, maybe it means that you go and say, hey, I, you know, I don't appreciate the way you talked, and, and it's okay. I've, no big deal. I'm not going to report you or anything. But I just, I'd rather have a friendship with you than this kind of a dialogue where, you know, there's negative stuff coming between us. Um, so there are normal, everyday things that bug us, bother us, irritate us. And, and those, I think, I really do think, are, are way easier to forgive than some of the hard things that we have faced and the things that we have to see or hear about. Um, so if, if you're in a situation where you need to forgive someone, um, it, it may sometimes take going to the person and saying, listen, uh, you wronged me. But sometimes you're able to just say, okay, it's over. Uh, I'm going to forgive them. And that's it. And every time that their name comes into my mind and maybe I start to think about it, the thing I need to say to myself is it's forgiven. It's forgiven. Until it no longer is part of my process of thinking. And then as the person comes around the next time or as we spend time together, I make sure that I take time to be what I can in the sense of encouragement to them. Now, there are times when forgiveness is a whole lot harder if a drunk driver kills someone in your family, that's a real hard thing to get over. That's a hard thing to forgive. Maybe <clears throat> it's a husband or wife who's had an affair. Or maybe someone has abused a child for many, many years. Those things are very hard to forgive. But the verse doesn't say forgive if it's easy. It doesn't say, forgive if you feel like it. It says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, there's several things I want to say here. Carol and I have had opportunity to, to encourage and help people who have been through some of these horrendous things I just kind of mentioned. And at some point, if they want to keep growing in the Lord, they get to a point where they realize and they understand that they need to forgive that person. Now, Please understand, I'm not saying they need to go see the person even, but I'm saying they need to forgive. So that at that point, that is something that they're not dealing with anymore. 
They've forgiven it, and they don't have to ever see the person again. That's not required in forgiveness of this kind. Um, at some point, we forgive because the evil that the person has committed is going to be constantly in our minds if we don't. And so we forgive. And before the Lord, we, we take that thing to Him and we forgive. Forgiving someone who has traumatized us is necessary for us to be able to move on and grow. And I've seen that time and time again. When, when someone who's been through any one of these things I just mentioned gets to the place where they really want to walk more deeply with the Lord, it takes forgiveness. It takes being able to say, I forgive this person for all of the harm that they've caused me. Now, let me just say this. Forgiving someone like that does not mean we must have a relationship with them. Really important to understand that. Uh, someone who's been abused horribly does not have to forgive and then get into a relationship with the person who abused them. Okay, So please understand, forgiveness... Now, go ahead and put this quote up there. This is my quote for what, it, what I think forgiveness is all about. Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you or get even with you for hurting me. And so we start out when we want to figure out how do we learn to forgive the unforgivable? Well, we start out with how much we've been forgiven, and then we remember to forgive as the Lord has forgiven, and we ask the Lord to give us that ability to forgive. The Lord Jesus died because of us and for us, and I think we need to constantly be remembering that forgiveness does not mean that we have to enter into that same harmful relationship that we had in the past. So Jesus is the pattern. as We ask help to be able to forgive the big and the little hurts in our lives. So how, how do we do that? How do we set our mind on the things above and set our hearts on things above you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, what Scripture says. And this is an anonymous uh, quote I found. Forgiveness does not excuse their behavior. Forgiveness prevents their behavior from destroying you. And that's something to, to, to remember. Sometimes what it requires of us is to forgive and put the person in God's hands and go on and live the way God has called us to live. Please don't hear me saying that I think this is easy. I know it's not. But as I study passages like this one, I become more and more convinced that forgiveness is so, so critical in many situations of our lives. And so I just want to encourage you. Maybe there's something that you need to be thinking through, someone that you need to forgive. Uh, again, be very careful because forgiveness does not require a relationship after the person's been forgiven. Now, it's not something that we do to try harder, to be more disciplined. I'm going to do this. I have to do this. It's the focus of our hearts and saying, Lord God, I know that you've forgiven me and I, I want to be able to do this. Please give me that ability to forgive them 
and to begin moving in a different direction. And I ask your help in that, Lord. What do we take away from this? What do we take away from this? Let's um, like us to read these three verses together. So let's start with this one. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So we're God's chosen people. We're holy. We're dearly loved. And he said, you know what? I've chosen you. I love you. And I long to see these things happening in your life. And then in, in verse 13, he says, you know, bear with each other. Forgive each other. Remember how much Jesus forgave you. And, and in the same way, forgive others. The same way that Jesus forgave you, forgive those that have harmed you. Over all of these virtues, though, he says, put on love. Love is the one thing that holds everything else together. It's like the belt, and it pulls all that garment together and makes it all work. So make sure that we're seeking to love in, in, in ways that God encourages and helps us. Um, how, how do we do that? And, and, and as I was struggling through that, thinking, okay, this is what the Lord is saying, I, I ran across a verse in Second Peter that I found very encouraging and I think helpful on one level. Second Peter 1.3, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Isn't that awesome? His divine power. Not my efforts, not me struggling and working and making it happen. His divine power has given me and you everything we need for life and a godly life. How? Through our knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Why do we take time to read the Scriptures? Why do we take time to study the Scriptures? Why do we take time to just think about what we've learned? It's because it's through our knowledge of him and that growing knowledge of him that we begin to see that God is at work and it's his power that gives us life and the ability to be godly in that life. So his divine power is at work, giving us exactly what we need to live godly lives. How? Through the knowledge of him. Ongoing learning, applying God's truth in our lives. This is something that never ends. It's an ongoing process. So when you read through John again at some point, and you're reading, you go, well, I must have read this 50 times in my lifetime. And you go through it and you go, well, I never saw that before. Why is that? Well, it's because the Spirit of God is drawing your attention to something in a different way. Maybe you're in a different place in your own life where you see this reality is really what I long to see. And, and God does that all through the Scriptures. So as our knowledge of Jesus grows, our ability to live godly lives increases. One of my favorite, favorite missionaries, never had a chance to meet her, but I've listened to her many times and I've read many of her books, is a woman named Helen Roosevelt. <clears throat> She's with the Lord now. She worked in the Congo for uh, over 50 years. She was a doctor and a surgeon and a Bible teacher and all kinds of other things. And the thing that struck me is that <clears throat> she lived through some of the most lonely and painful and horrendous situations of anybody I know. 
I mean, some of what she went through for the gospel, I would have quit and gone home. She faced it, lived through it, and came back. And the thing that struck me, no matter what she was talking about, no matter how hard it was, maybe it was the rebel soldiers that came and burned down the hospital and other things, other atrocities. In that whole time she's talking about that, she's focusing on Jesus. Jesus was why she went. Jesus is why she stayed. And Jesus sustained her in some of the most horrendous things you've ever heard about. And at the end of it, she comes through, and all she can talk about is how amazing and wonderful this Jesus is. That's the kind of person I, I like to learn from. They've lived it, they've done it, and they keep on pointing the way. Let's read Second Peter 1.3 together before we close. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power in your word. Thank you for the challenges. And Lord, I just ask that each one of us would leave this place with a desire to live out the truth of the fact that we are chosen in you and live out the truth that you are working and want to continue working in our lives. Guide us, lead us, and help us to follow. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond with this hymn of